From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the efficacy of repeat SLT. It's likely to last two to three years and maybe then need repeating. But if you get lucky, some people are still controlled with good pressures at five or six years later. Without a doubt, the three therapies that have most affected glaucoma practice in my professional lifetime have been the introduction of prostaglandins, the introduction of MIGS, and the development of SLT. SLT was introduced as a laser trabeculoplasty procedure that was less inherently damaging to tissue than ALT. However, like ALT, the duration of effect of SLT is not indefinite, and the procedure is often repeated in clinical practice. But whereas we know that initial SLT treatment is generally as effective as a single glaucoma agent, less is known about the efficacy of repeat SLT. In addition, the question frequently comes up as to whether a patient is not a candidate for repeat SLT if he or she has responded poorly to initial SLT treatment. The only way to answer these questions is through scientific study, and that is precisely what my guest, Gus Gazard, has done. I'm delighted to have Dr. Gazard as my guest today to discuss his recently published study. I perform SLT fairly frequently. While I understand that it has an effect on aqueous outflow and that it's less damaging than ALT, I don't think that I have a sufficient understanding of the mechanism by which it actually works. Because how does SLT work? I think most of the knowledge we've got around the actual mechanism of SLT comes from Alvarado's work. There's been a lot of cell culture, tissue culture, animal work, and then also some histology on uh, monkey models, non-human primates, and then on looking at human eyes. And all of that seems to suggest that there are several mechanisms. There's initially uh, a release of cytokines that seems to loosen some of the Schlem's canal endothelial cell um, junctions, and therefore you get greater fluid flow and greater conductivity across the wall of Schlem's canal itself. There's then also, uh, over the next few days to weeks, ingress into the trabecular meshwork tissues of monocyte macrophages of various types, and then a repopulation of the of the tissue itself by um, a of these white blood cell derived cells. What then happens after that, I think is rather more speculative. And there's a hypothesis that these macrophages clear some of the existing debris, but also may end up transforming or at least continuing to reside within the trabecular meshwork. Because we know that glaucoma patients have an acellular or a reduced cellularity of the trabecular meshwork. And there is a theory that they somehow managed to repopulate those and that explains the longevity of the effect in SLT because clearly the cytokine effect is the cytokines are lasting probably for a few days maybe a few um, the inflammatory response with the macrophages initially I would imagine would be for a few weeks or months but what explains how long it lasts for over several years there has to be some other more permanent mechanism there but that's very much speculative but I think you're getting tissue level changes in the short, medium and long term to explain the continued reduction in outflow obstruction, the increased outflow facility, even three, five years later and, or more. 
Gus, by how much is IOP typically reduced by a single SLT treatment in, in a laser-naive patient? Um, and for how long is the reduction maintained? And, and, and while I'm asking this, when is the typical peak onset of the, the reduction? Because it's not, it's not immediate. No, there's certainly evidence that the pressure continues to reduce over the first couple of months. So eight weeks or so, we're probably talking about a peak pressure reduction. There are no studies that have explicitly looked uh, or have been constructed in order to look at this. So there's always a slight uncertainty there. I know that Mark Latina still talks about uh, there in some patients being late responders and there being a further pressure lowering between two and three months, which is a very late late effect. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure about that. Um, so I'm, I'm not really certain whether or not we're getting further effect after a... What is the typical duration of effect in a laser-naive patient? Well, we had um, over, around two-thirds of the patients were still controlled at their pressure uh, target at three years. And we're taking those patients out now to a full six years. So we still don't have the data analyzed as to what the median duration of effect is likely to be. But it is likely in these treatment-naive patients for primary open angle and ocular hypertensive patients is likely to be in excess of three years. So we had over, over half were still going at quite stringent pressure reduction targets uh, at three years. Three quarters of the light trial patients were controlled at three years, but a proportion of those had had a second laser. So the magnitude of pressure reduction from SLT in, in treatment-naive patients uh, is related to uh, the starting pressure. I mean, like many treatments for pressure reduction, you get more bang for your buck. The higher the pressure is, the more, you, the more reduction you get, uh, both in absolute and in percentage terms. However, on average, we were seeing around about a 29 to 30% reduction, very similar to prostaglandin use in this um, group of patients we looked at. The duration of action is in it, it, the median length of action is in excess of three years. So uh, we, I'm normally quoting to patients that it's likely to last two to three years and maybe need repeating. But if you get lucky, some people are still controlled with good pressures at five or six years later. And there's the odd patient that goes on for a very long time. Because while SLT is often adjunctive therapy, particularly in, in the States, um, it can be employed in medication-naive eyes also. Now, this was a topic that was explored in the LIGHT trial. Can I get you to describe the LIGHT trial, its, its objectives, its findings? Yes, certainly. We knew that SLT can work in some people on some occasions. Uh, what we weren't really doing was using it very widely. And there were a very wide range of opinions about whether it should be used at all. So the question that we set ourselves was to determine whether or not we should be using it. We knew we could, but we didn't know whether we should be. So to that end, we wanted to look at treatment-naive patients, no previous glaucoma ex medication exposure at all. And the objective was to determine whether or not starting off with laser and then proceeding to drops if necessary was as good or as, or better than just simply starting with medication and using medication alone. And to do that, we had 718 patients, which we randomized to two treatment pathways. So you started with laser and then went on to drops after two lasers, if those weren't enough. Or you started with drops, you started with medications and you carried on going. 
Now, what we found in that was that at the end of three years, we had three quarters of patients who were still controlled just having had laser. And of those, the majority had only had one laser. So in total, the patients who started off with laser, around two thirds approximately, were controlled with just one treatment of SLT. And that wasn't taking an arbitrary level across the board of pressure lowering. We actually targeted and, and defined a target pressure for each individual eye based on the severity of the glaucoma and based on the uh, initial presenting pressure at which we thought that the damage had occurred. So these were very much eye-specific stringent target IOPs based on published criteria that we were using to determine whether the laser was successful. What was the question that this study sought to answer? The study that we're talking about today dealing with with this paper? So this specific study was looking at the cost effectiveness, quality of life and clinical outcomes of those two treatment pathways. So we had 718 patients randomized into those two halves and we looked to see whether laser could work as well as drops over three years and whether that in it, that was had any impact on quality of life using questionnaires, whether that had any impact on visual function, and whether that had any uh, uh, whether that was more or less cost effective than starting off with medications. And what we found in that was that the laser worked at least as well as the medication arm in terms of quality of life, in terms of uh, preservation of visual function, in terms of pressure control, uh, but it did so without the use of drops in three quarters. Of, and it did so with uh, more cost effective, in a more cost effective way, certainly in the UK setting. A, a lot of that was driven by the fact that in the medication arm, we had 11 patients who required trabeculectomy to retain target. Whereas in the light laser treatment arm, we didn't have anyone requiring a trabeculectomy or surgical intervention in order to uh, attain their target pressure and stay at target pressure. So we had a big difference in terms of the intensity of treatment uh, that was required. And that's why we, at the end of the study, we um, suggest that all new diagnosed patients with glaucoma or ocular hypertension having treatment uh, should start with SLT unless they've got a contraindication. Gus, we're going to be talking about a study that you've uh, very recently published Um Dealing with uh, retreatments of SLT, what what was the the study question here, and can I get you to describe the design of of this study? The retreatment study was specifically looking at a subset of patients from within the light trial that we've just mentioned. So the light trial was published in the Lancet. The retreatment study was published in Ophthalmology, and we took those patients who had required further laser from the laser treatment arm during the course of the study. And we looked to see how well the second laser did. Now, the design of that was to look at patients who had failed within the first 18 months, because that meant that within our trial, three-year trial envelope, we had an equal duration of uh, pre-treatment and post-treatment follow-up. We had at least 18 months for all these patients follow-up. And what we found surprised us, because we had a, a, a comparable percentage pressure lowering with retreatment. Uh, if anything, it was slightly greater than the initial treatment. It was certainly no less, but also that the duration of effect was longer. So bear in mind that we pre-specified these are patients who have got an early to moderate failure. They failed within 18 months. 
traditionally a lot of people would not treat those patients again. They would say, well, sorry, you, you know, your laser's worn off too quickly. We're going to stop there. And that's why I was interested in looking at that group particularly, because I thought that answered an interesting treatment question. Um, if your laser lasts three years, then it's, 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 it's kind of no big deal. You're probably going to repeat it because people would say, well, we know that it works. But I wanted to look at that group where we weren't really sure what to do. So in these, it was over 100 patients, in these 18-month failures, we retreated those and looked at the survival curve. And if you look at the Kaplan-Meier survival curve, the majority of those patients were still controlled at their stringent pressure target within the 18-month follow-up. So in fact, the retreatment patients, really interestingly, did better the second time round with their retreatment. So it, it, this is obviously, this is a very, very, very interesting, very clinically relevant finding. There are a couple of difficulties that I can think of, of comparing an initial SLT to a repeat SLT treatment. Number one, the, the indications for retreatment were such that these patients had a lower mean IOP than the patients presenting for their initial SLT treatment. Correct, and the, yes. the second thing is, is that the, the grades of glaucoma for those patients requiring retreatment was distributed differently from those who were presenting for initial treatment. So given these, these difficulties, how are you able to compare the IOP reduction results of the initial treatment to the repeat treatment? Well, the first of those points was that, I mean, the indication for retreatment was they weren't target, but of course... We didn't wait for them to return to their baseline pressure. So we, you're quite right. We were treating them at an earlier, uh, at a lower pressure. Uh, what that meant was that we saw a smaller absolute pressure in those patients. But if you look at the percentage pressure reduction, it was at least as great. In terms of the severity of the glaucoma, uh, the distribution of severities is slightly different between the two. The, the, the initial sample of patients was, was pretty much all comers. Uh, but the repeat treatment, if anything, had a slightly more severe sample because they were patients who had, as a result of having more severe glaucoma, more stringent pressure control requirements. So their targets were necessarily lower because their glaucoma was worse. So we had a slightly more advanced, slightly more severe group. However, what that meant was, if anything, those two factors would bias against treatment working. I mean, those, those would act against re, retreatment rather than acting in its favour. So the fact that it was still doing well, I think, is all remarkable. Um, and then finally, we, we specifically compared patients who failed to who were retreated as, uh, and w when they were retreated. Uh, and in a sense, therefore, that groups its own internal control. We're essentially using patients as their own control because we are comparing a subset of patients who failed against themselves when they had retreatment. So we're not comparing the patients with the larger initial sample. We're specifically comparing them with the with themselves when they failed the first treatment. We have, of course, that this is a, um, a post hoc analysis. It wasn't part of the trial analysis, and it is uh, look at the data that we've we've gleaned from the study, but it was a very robustly conducted study, and all the reintervention points, all the time points of which we decided to es escalate the intensity of treatment, were predefined and much chosen by the uh, study treatment algorithm, rather than being an, an arbitrary choice by a clinician. So there's there really is I think very little risk of 
any intrinsic internal bias. Were there any adverse events noted in the retreatment group? Um, interestingly, we had no adverse effects in the retreatment group. Um, one of the interesting things about the light study as a whole is that the rate of adverse events was far lower than we had feared, far lower than we had expected. We had a handful of eyes where they had a small pressure rise after laser. But in fact, we had only one patient who required any treatment out of 776 lasers for a pressure spike. And she settled after having uh, a single tablet of diamox and an extra dose of iopidine. So to have one treatable pressure spike after 776 lasers is quite remarkable. I think the reason for that is that we have um, chosen treatment naive patients and the vast majority of previous studies looking at pressure spikes were using patients who already had significant and quite advanced disease, often on multiple medications and often with, uh, I, th I think, really quite compromised outflow. In my own clinical practice, I do still see pressure spikes. I do still see some adverse events, mainly uh, uh, immediate post-op pressure spikes. And they are almost always in patients who are using multiple medications. And I'm using SLT as, a, as an adjunctive therapy. That's the reason I think that SLT has had a bad press over the last decade or two, because the wrong patients in the wrong way. And I think this shift of focus to right at the start of the paradigm means that we can see it in its best light with the maximum pressure lowering, fewest side effects. And, and I think we will probably be changing the whole treatment paradigm to a primary SLT and then drops later paradigm. You divided the group of patients who required retreatment into early retreatment failures and later retreatment patients. Did these two groups fare differently with repeat SLT? Uh, we did that because we wondered whether somebody who failed immediately, i.e. failed to meet their target with their first treatment at all, were somehow patients who were not responsive to SLT in any shape or form. This was the hypothesis. And therefore, we wondered whether perhaps they were patients who had uh, further downstream obstructions to outflow. And certainly there are theories around different patients having different uh, anatomical sites of outflow obstruction. Some people trabecular mesh work, some perhaps post Schlem's canal. So we compared treatment groups to, to look at that. What was interesting was that there was seemed to be no difference. Now, again, this is a, a, a post hoc sample of a uh, a subset of this selected group of patients. So uh, this becomes uh, more of a analysis rather than a definitive answer. This was not the primary treatment. Um, however, they didn't respond differently. We could see no different, no difference in the pressure response for the early failures versus those. Um, some of them did extremely well. So what I take away from that is that if you do one laser and you do it well, and I'm doing... 360 degree treatments here, 100, 100 shots, both eyes at the same time. And if you do that and the pressure lowering is not enough and you give them a couple of months, it would seem to be worth trying again because a proportion of patients seem to respond to a second treatment better than they did to the first. And what I think colloquially how I think of that is that that first treatment it, it got them going. It did. It may have done some good, but not enough to really see a big difference in pressure. But maybe it's simply for that patient simply wasn't enough. Because, of course, we're using a, a clinical endpoint of 
visible bubbles in the trabecular meshwork, at least 50% of the shots. We've based on some very arbitrary work from the lab 20 years ago that Mark Latina did with some others. Nobody's really analysed a dose response uh, for laser. We, we, we take this as how we do it and we, don't, we haven't really changed it. So what that suggests to me is that maybe some patients need that physical endpoint, but, but other patients, we don't know how to define them because we can't detect a difference. Some other patients maybe need more laser, maybe need that, that second treatment to get them into, to, to recondition the trabecular meshwork and get the me trabecular meshwork uh, draining better. So what I'm saying to my patients now is, you know, we, we'll give it a go. If it doesn't work the first time, we may try it a second time to see if we can get you down to where we want you to. So I think I think one of the interesting and exciting things from the SLT studies that we're looking at uh, are perhaps you know slightly speculative, but I, it does make me wonder if we look to the future where we might do this because I do think that I have some concerns around long-term uh, benzocodone chloride exposure of the trabecular meshwork. We know that the the back uh, penetration into trabecular meshwork happens. That's well documented, particularly some Japanese histology has shown that. We also know that back exposure is toxic to a lot of tissues and probably the trabecular meshwork. So I do, we can buy patients time without medications, five, six, maybe even eight or 10 years with two or three repeat lasers, which is now my current practice. If we can do that for some of our patients, we may get to a point where they're coming up for cataract surgery anyway. They have low impact, minimally invasive glaucoma surgery extraction. So they have laser again. They may maybe have some FACO MIGs with a lower threshold than we would have had 10 years ago because we know that these things are safe, whether they get an eye stent or a hydrus or whatever the next thing on the horizon might be. And then that buys them yet more time. And a lot of our patients have got a life expectancy of around 20 years after diagnosis. The study may come a time where we can keep a lot of these patients away from uh, trabeculectomy surgery, but also away from the harmful effects of some of the long-term drop exposure, particularly the preservative exposure. So uh, I, I think that's a, a, an interesting potential shift in paradigm. What I'd like to see backing that up is some good histological on what repeat SLT does to patients over years. And that's gonna be, that's gonna be hard to come by. Uh, what I'd love to see is some more information on what long-term medication exposure is doing to trabecular meshwork and outflow obstructions and, and and outflow facility. You said that your practice now is to do two or three repeat treatments. Does that mean uh, an initial treatment and two or three repeats on, on, on top of that or a total of two or three treatments? Sorry, yes, that wasn't quite clear. Uh, my current practice is to do up to three treatments per eye in total, now, but and by three treatments, I mean three 360 degree treatments. Uh, there's very little data on the impact of that third treatment. We know that 360 degree, 100 shots, repeated 360 degree, 100 shots, can for many patients. Uh, I've yet to see any uh, good data on, on what a third similar 360 degree and how much it can do, but I've certainly got some anecdotal clinical experience that suggests that in some patients that can also work well. Gus, this, this is wonderful, wonderful stuff. It's it's super clinically relevant, especially to to my 
my own practice, both in terms of uh, guidance and in terms of validation of the, some of the things that, that I do. I want to thank you very, very much for, for bringing this interesting topic to us. And Gus, I want to thank you for your, your tremendous generosity with your time with me. Well, thank you very much indeed for the opportunity of sharing some of our work. Gus Gazard is Professor of Ophthalmology and Director of the Glaucoma Service at the Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, United Kingdom. His paper, Efficacy of Repeat Selective Laser Trabeculoplasty in Medication-Naive Open-Angle Glaucoma and Ocular Hypertension during the LIGHT trial, appears in the October 2019 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Gazard or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.